The past four weeks, we have spent some time looking at the vision and the values of Calvary Church. As a brief recap, our vision is that we would be a church that connects the disconnected to the Lord. We know that God is the one who saves, but we also know that he uses us as his ambassadors of his love and the proclaimers of his message, and we want to do that well. We want to be good at it. It is our vision that God would use us to reconcile a broken world unto himself. The first value that we have is that we stand on the stone. We value the fundamentals of the faith, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and that he did what he said he did, and that we can trust and rest on him. And then we confess and pray and rest weekly in things that remind us of the promises that we have in the stone that we are standing upon. Our second value is that we focus on the feet. We value vulnerability, humility, and service. In the Bible, we see the feet as being a, a dirty part of a body, of the body, a, a part that needs to be cleaned regularly. And to let someone into those dirty areas of life demands a certain level of vulnerability. We know that God is ultimately the one who forgives. But we know that he uses his people to remind us of the forgiveness that has been poured out over us. And so it is important to us that we focus on the feet allowing our own feet to be washed and being willing to wash the feet of others. Our third value is that we have a commitment to community. In Acts chapter 2, we saw a church that loved each other so well that those outside the church had a high opinion of them and wanted to join them. At Calvary, we know that though the service is on Sundays, church also happens during the week. You're right, it's kids' church, and I totally blotched that one well done uh kids church is started like five minutes ago except for it didn't i'll just cut this out of the my bad sorry i i need like a big sign in the back matt's up here he's got me dude kids church i need like a dude you missed something here's this sign like what is it isn't that isn't that like comedian here's your sign like isn't that a thing that like foxworthy or something like that does i just need a big flashing light because i get going and everyone's like bro what are you doing the kids are still here that's on me. I'm sorry. Now I'm, is the AC on? I need the AC. It's a little hot. Getting a little hot. This is a little, whoa, okay. Take two. I'm not going to start from the beginning, though. I'm, I'm just going to start from where I was. My bad. My, that's my bad. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. Sign. need a sign in the back. And then, and then yeah, maybe I should just write it in here, a little bold. I'll bold it on my, on my script next time. Okay. Values. We value humility. Yeah, I'm good at messing up. So welcome to Calvary, guys. This is, this is, this is a place where this happens sometimes. But that's okay. That's okay. We, uh, we focus on the feet here. <laughs> All right. So yeah, our third value is a, a commitment to community, right? We know that, we know that, uh, that uh, uh, church happens not just at the church on Sunday mornings, but it also happens during the week. We we want to meet together during the week. We want to spend that time together, right? We, we get together and we visit as friends and, and families. We value investing in each other, eating together, praying for each other, and loving each other well. And we, wanna, we want that love to overflow from our church community into the community outside of our doors. That is a brief summary and then intermission of the vision and values that we have covered over the past month. And as we close this series, it's hard not to ask the question, what now? We talked about the vision, we talked about the values, what, 
what now? Where do we go from here? We're going to look to sit in that question by spending some time in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 15. To get the context of the passage that we are about to read, we need to know what Paul is talking about right before it. At the end of Romans 9, Paul is writing about how sad he is that Israel, that the Jews, are missing the good news of Jesus. The Gentiles are accepting the message, but so many of the children of Israel are not, and this distresses him. And then in the beginning of chapter 10, we read that it is the desire of Paul's heart and his prayer to God that the Israelites would be saved. So that is the context of the verses that we are going to focus on this morning. Paul wants people who do not know the Lord to know the Lord. That's the basis of it. That's the, the foundation here. He wants to connect the disconnected to the Father. But before he gets to the connecting part, he spends some time encouraging those who already believe and who will be used to do the connecting. He does this by reminding them of the promises they have in the stone that they stand on the hope that our faith is built upon. So let's read together this morning. We'll be reading Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 15. If you have your Bibles with you, feel free to follow along. If not, the words will be on the screen behind me. We read the word of the Lord. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So a slogan is a short and striking or memorable phrase used in advertising. It's a few words thrown together that builds association with a product. Sometimes it it tells us about the product, and sometimes it tells us about the company. If I say the words, just do it, we all know that I'm referencing Nike. If I say that my family is taking a vacation to the happiest place on earth, where are we going? Disney, right? Yeah. There are some things that money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. What's in your wallet is the popular slogan for Capital One. And if an attractive black man tells you that you're in good hands, that dude's got a voice, man. Like, that dude needs to narrate stuff. You're in good hands. You probably have Allstate for your insurance. I could spend the rest of the time together this morning laying out different slogans, but I'd rather ask you a question. What would be the slogan for the gospel? There's some classics, like Jesus Loves You, and that one comes to mind immediately, and and it even has a song that goes with it. But I would argue that a slogan needs to go a bit deeper than that. The slogan assumes that people have a problem, and that their product can fix it. You're sad? 
better go to the happiest place on earth and get that problem sorted out. You're hungry for some tasty food? Better hit up KFC because I hear their chicken is finger licking good. You worried about if something in life goes wrong and you won't be able to deal with it? Well, with Allstate, you'll be in good hands. You more worried about the cost of that insurance? Well, one 15-minute call could save you 15% or more on car insurance. A good slogan lets a person know how their product is going to resolve a problem. And so while there's nothing wrong with Jesus loves you, and those three words state a comforting fact, I think there's a bigger, deeper question in most of our minds than if God loves us. I think that question is related, but I think the bigger question is, am I safe? Does God love me enough to save me? How many times do we see Jesus questioned in the Bible by people wondering how they can be saved? And that question hasn't gone anywhere. People are still looking around searching for how they can be saved, longing for an assurance of safety. We start with little things like, how can we be safe from tragedy? How can we avoid feeling pain and experiencing suffering? But as any of us that have spent a decent amount of time on this planet revolving around our sun know, those things come. We can't escape pain and suffering in life. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. It's not what we want, but it's life. And so the bigger question becomes, not if we will be safe in this life, but will we be safe in the next? Where will we spend eternity? When will the suffering end? Where will we spend forever? And so as we ponder that question, I submit to you this morning my vote for the slogan of the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a promise. What a proclamation. How many of us struggle during the week to be good? We know that we're supposed to do the right thing, the the moral thing, the thing that God wants us to do, but we struggle in doing it perfectly. We share that, that juicy bit of gossip that we weren't supposed to know in the first place. Maybe we disrespected our spouse, we lost our temper with our children, we looked at the lives of our friends with envy. We needed to clear our browsing history. We fell for that temptation that we knew we were supposed to resist, but it just got the best of us again. And we feel miserable. How how could God still look on me with love? When will he run out of patience? How many chances do I get before I run out of rope? Have I gone too far? Have I done enough? Have I done too much? How could God still love me? How could God still want me? What is God's will toward me now? I've been teaching the confirmation class here at Calvary. It's a, it's a class where the kids who are a little older, we're starting in fifth grade this year, work through some of the deeper understandings of faith and doctrine. We talk about baptism and communion, the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed, and part of confirmation class is working through what we loving, lovingly refer to as the Red Book, otherwise known as the explanation of Luther's small catechism. And as I pondered the question before us, what is God's will towards me now? I'm reminded of the second question in the Red Book. What is God's will for you? It asks. And the question that we have in the book, the answer that we find in Scripture is this. God's will is that I be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
God's will is that we be saved. All those things that you did that you feel like, like he couldn't get past, all those things that build up in our lives, all that sin that muddies up our good intentions, yeah, all of that does not affect God's will for you. God's will is that you be saved, and since that is his will, he took action to make it happen. The Bible tells us that we are dead and our trespasses and sins, and there is nothing a dead person can do to bring themselves back to life. They already dead. I don't care how many zombie movies you've watched, and I don't care how well The Walking Dead is written. All that stuff is about as real as the Ninja Turtles. The dead cannot take action. Life has left the body. The strength is gone. The only hope that the dead have is in the one who has power over the grave. You see, though we were dead, God still wants to have a relationship with us. He loves you, warts and all, failures and all. He cannot get over you. And so he took extraordinary steps to make it possible that he might have a relationship with you. Incredible and fantastic steps that he might save you. Our God sent his son Jesus to the world. He was born of a virgin, sinless and perfect. And not once did sin stain his life. He suffered alongside us down here on earth, but where we stumble and fall, Christ never once gave in to temptation. He was blameless and pure, and that doesn't sit well with some people. And so he was betrayed to his enemies. And those enemies put a cross on his shoulders, and they had him walk the long path up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull. But Jesus did not carry just that cross up that hill. He also carried our sin. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was nailed to that cross and he hung there, that he became sin for us on that cursed tree. That all of the sin in all of the world, all the sin that had ever been done and ever would be done was put on him, was put upon the perfect one, the one who had done nothing to deserve it. And there on that cross, God abandoned him. And there on that cross, he died. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, defeating sin and death, Jesus rose from the grave. And the Bible tells us that when we are baptized, when we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith in his work on our behalf, that we die with him on the cross and that we are brought back to life in him, with him by the Father. We are brought back to life with Jesus for when we believe in him, our sinful rags are taken. The sin that we are dead in has been taken. And we are given robes of Christ's righteousness so that when God looks at us, he does not see our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so through faith, we are reconciled to God. Through faith, we are saved. This is the extent of God's love for us. This is how far he went. He made it so that we could come back from spiritual death and have relationship with him. He made it so that we might be saved, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so I believe that the slogan of the gospel, the good news for everyone everywhere, is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what you have done. At the cross, there is forgiveness. It doesn't matter where you have been or what you have seen or what you have said or however you have failed to be perfect. In the myriad of ways that we all fail, there is nothing in this promise that relies on our works. The hope of this promise is built on the name of the Lord. 
and there is nothing that we can do to cheapen that. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know if you've walked with him for as long as you can remember. I don't know if you've walked with him, or I don't know if you're still trying to to figure out if you agree with anything that I'm saying. I don't know where you are, but what I do know is that this promise is just as much for you as it is for me. This is what we can rely on. This is how we can know that we will be saved if we call on the name of the Lord. And I just love how that's the mission call that Paul gives to his church. He says, here's the stone you can stand on. It's the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. None of that matters when it comes to salvation because this is the one thing that brings us all together. God loves you, and through faith in his name, you are saved. This is the message that Paul wants the Jews to hear. Remember, he's sad and troubled that so few of the Israelites are coming to faith in Christ, and so he emphasizes this message that it is through faith, not works, that a person is saved. And then after this slogan is proclaimed, after this truth is unveiled, what does he do? He sends the church out to do works. Not that they would be saved, but so that their neighbor might be. We pick up with our text this morning in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul lays out a logical mission for the church to the lost. Bring the good news. Tell your neighbor about God's love for them. Here we see that people call on the Lord, trust in the Lord, are saved when they hear the word proclaimed to them and believe it. And so church, this is how we answer the what now of our mission. What do we do now that we have this nifty vision and value statements? We proclaim the truth to our neighbors We stand on the stone, focusing on the reality of the slogan of the gospel. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is our rock. He is the stone upon which we stand. So just as Paul sets sets that out as the basis of the mission he is sending the church in Rome on, let that be the basis of our mission as well. God wants us all to be saved, and he is the only one who can do it. But he uses us to bring that message of hope. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, we read in our text this morning. So Calvary, let's focus on the feet. Let's not be distant and aloof, afraid to interact and engage with our neighbor or our friend. Let us be vulnerable, recognizing that there isn't a perfect person on this planet, and we all need the forgiveness that God has given us. Let us generously dole that forgiveness out. Let us recognize That to be forgiven, there is an element of confession, and confession makes us vulnerable. Let us celebrate repentance as we embrace the vulnerable. Let us get involved with our communities. Let us love our neighbor well. Let us be involved here at and with our brothers and sisters at church that we might build a community whose love for each other spills out through the church doors and into the community around us. Let us get involved in the lives of our neighbors. Let's go to the Little League games. Let's have conversations in coffee shops and around kitchen tables that don't belong to us. 
Let's be so in the lives of our neighbor that we love them so much we can't imagine heaven without them. And let us proclaim to them that the love that, the love that God has for them, the slogan of the gospel. And let us remember that this mission is for all of us. The Virginia Mason Athletic Center sits on the shores of Lake Washington in Renton, Washington. It's the home of the Seattle Seahawks and one of the more beautiful locations for an NFL headquarters. From the outdoor practice field, you have a great view of the water, and on really hot days, yes, there are really hot days in Washington. The breeze off the lake keeps the players and coaches from getting too uncomfortable. Each day before practice, the players go out through two doors to enter the practice field, and right above each door, there is a sign. It's a simple sign. It's not flashy. It does not glow in the dark, and it's not lit up with lights. It's a plain blue sign, and in white lettering, it says, I'm in. And the players from the quarterback, the most important position on the team, to the practice squad guy who's just hoping to have a spot on the roster by the end of the week, they all reach up, and they hit that sign as they pass beneath it, signifying that they are in. They are all in for the mission that the team has before them. They are going to work hard, sacrifice delicious foods, pump weights, rip a, like run a ton, I don't know, work on catching and not dropping balls. Whatever it is, whatever their role on this team demands, they are in as they work collectively towards the goal of winning a Super Bowl. Church, are we in? The mission before us is clear. We have a vision and values to help us join Jesus on the mission that we have been given. Are we in? It will take sacrifice. If you have sat under any of my sermons the past four years, you know that I am not one to talk about tithing. It's a topic I actively avoid. But whether I want to talk about it or not, the reality remains that if we are going to be in for God's mission, we are going to need to be able to keep the lights on. Now, there are some things that we would like to do around the church. We'd like to renovate the bathrooms in the basement, and we'd like to have a more functional kitchen. There's some other things in the basement that are rising up the priority list. And as exciting and as, as helpful to the ministry as those things would be, we need to keep the lights on. The last few months, we've been in the red in giving, and I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not placing blame. I know the past year has been rough, and please don't see me bringing this up as a guilt trip or anything along that line. That's, that's my fear, and that's why I don't talk about it. But if this church is not your home and, and you aren't a member here, then this doesn't really even pertain to you. You have no obligation to support our ministry here, though we are very thankful that you are here with us today. But for those of us who call Calvary home and who are embracing these vision and value statements, are we all in? It will take sacrifice, and some of that will be a hit to the wallet so that we can keep the lights on and the ministry moving forward. But the sacrifice goes well beyond money and hits what may be more valuable to many of us, time. Being in on the mission will take time. It will mean not doing what you want to do all the time and instead doing what your neighbor hopes that you'll do. It'll mean going out for coffee when we'd rather be sitting at home in our shorts. It'll mean having people over to your house even though the floor isn't quite as clean as maybe you would like it to be. It'll mean not getting to snuggle with that book at every available opportunity and possibly having your ear talked off about a subject you don't particularly care about. It'll mean showing up for work days so that it is the church together cleaning and maintaining the building and not just those who feel obligated to because they are on the trustee board. 
It'll mean gathering with the church when we have times of fellowship, like our our Lent dinners, and it'll mean being involved in the community outreach events, like the movie night we have coming up on Friday. Time is a precious commodity, and often we spend it on things that we want to. And that's great, and I encourage you to do that. But being in on the mission will also mean spending it on some of the things that may make you uncomfortable, but will be rewarding in the end in their own ways. Being in on the vision will also mean, will also certainly mean being uncomfortable in some areas of ministry. We will need to talk to people that we don't know that well. We'll need to care about things that we don't really care about that much or we didn't care about before. We'll need to let go of some things that we've held on to for a long time. I'm not saying that it's all going to be easy or fun, but I am saying that it is what God has called us to, and he's got a plan, and I, for one, am super excited to see how that plan is going to unfold. I don't know how God is going to use you, but what I do know is that God has a plan for how to do just that. God wants each and every one of us to be saved, to trust in the name of Jesus, and he has a plan on how he will use each and every one of us in his mission to save this world. I can't wait to see how God is going to use this church. I'm excited for the things that he has in store, the things that only he knows about. And though we will not ever be able to stop God's mission from being fulfilled, we can stop his mission from taking place here in our church. As Martin Luther once said, the Lord doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. And the reality is that if that we, I mean, the reality is that we don't and won't maximize every opportunity. We are sinful people. We won't join Jesus on his mission perfectly. There will be times when we will fail. There will be times when we'll miss the mark. There will be times when we try to encourage someone and end up insulting them. There will be times when we have the best of intentions and everything just blows up in our face. There will be times when we just don't want to do it. And that will leave us feeling guilty and frustrated that we were even asked to do it in the first place. During those times, let us remember the slogan of the gospel. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Your failures will not disqualify you. Jesus died for those sins just as he died for the sins we don't want anyone knowing about. Remember, God is the one who builds the church. And he knows that he's using faulty tools to do it. Let us rest in the truth that his perfect craftsmanship will overcome our poor works. Church, let us join Jesus on his mission. Let us rest in his power when things are going great. And let us rest in his power when things are going horribly wrong. Our God calls us to be all in on the mission that he is doing. When we fall short of that mark, let us rest in his forgiveness. But let us strive to not fall short of that mark. The mission is too important. Our neighbor is too important. One of the things that I love about vision and values is that they are a unifying force. It doesn't matter if you are a member here or a visitor or a regular attender. Each and every one of us can have ownership of vision and values. For God calls all of us. And so this is a call for all of us to be involved, to be part of the mission work that God is doing in and through this little church in Bergenfield, New Jersey. I'm excited to be on this mission with you, Calvary. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do through each and every one of you as we seek to be used by God in connecting the disconnected to him. What a fantastic, loving, and amazing God we serve. Amen.